let's, uh, let's jump in. Um, before we go into the scripture, I do want to tell a story because if you guys know me, I've been up here. I like to tell stories from my, my past and my history. Um, it wouldn't be a Sean sermon if we didn't do that. So um, when we were kids, like, like most families, you go on little adventures. And, and uh, you know, oftentimes we'd go to amusement parks. Um, Kennywood, uh, Cedar Point, Joga Lake, Sea Roll back in those days when that was still open, which was always one of our favorite places to go. Um, but we, you know, when you're kids, you really have no choice. You're going to go. Your parents are going to be there. You're going to hang out with your parents, and they're going to kind of direct you and, and guide you your way through the amusement parks, wherever you may be. Um, in fact, when we were younger, um, for you guys who are my age or older, you remember from Kennywood, you actually had to have tickets to be able to get on those rides, and you had to so many, so many tickets to be able to get on. Now they do the ride all day pass. Before then, you had no choice but to be around your parents so you can get some tickets. Uh, but as you get older, you want to start to have some independence, right? You want to be able to do your own thing. Maybe you want to bring your friends to Kennywood or, or Cedar Point, or maybe you want to just hang out with your siblings by yourselves without your parents. You know, it's not cool when you're a preteen or a, you know, early teenagers to be really be hanging out with your parents at Kennywood. And so you want that independence. My parents would eventually say, okay, fine, you're old enough, you can go on your own, and you can do your thing. But before we even got into Kennywood, there were rules, there were guidelines that had to be followed. They would lay those out, and they were pretty simple ones, right? Stay with your group or stay together, don't get lost, don't do anything too stupid. We inevitably were doing something stupid anyway, but don't do anything too stupid. Um, or, or, you know, don't get in any trouble, but more importantly, when we tell you to, you need to make sure that you're meeting at a certain time, right? You're Ab, when you're on your own, you're meeting. You, you know, my parents would say, hey, come to the kangaroo at 3 o'clock. Make sure you're there. Be there. But what happens if we break those rules, then we have to go back and spend the rest of the day with our parents. And again, that's not too cool. That's not so fun. Um, but Moses here is in this same position. He has a group of Israelites as we go into Deuteronomy 6, he has a group of Israelites who are getting ready to enter into the promised land. Right? They're Kennywood, the land of milk and honey. They're ready to get into this land that's going to be beautiful and incredible for them. And Moses is laying down the guidelines, the laws, and, and, and the rules that they have to follow before they get in. And there are specific reasons they need to follow that that we're going to discuss as we go through Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's jump in there. It should be up here on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. It said, verse 1, This is the command, the statutes, and the ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of his statutes and commands. I'm giving you your son and your grandson and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel. And be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. These words I am giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for these words. 
that you gave to Moses to present to the Israelites, Lord. And thank you that we can take these same words and we can apply them to our own lives. Lord, I ask right now that you would just uh, fill this place, just dwell in this place. I pray that you would just uh, allow your words to be spoken and not my words. I pray that you would just take control right now, Lord, and I pray that you would just change lives through your word. We thank you for what you're about to do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we have Moses given the task of preparing the Israelites to enter into the promised land. Um, In the first part of Deuteronomy, it's broken up into really three speeches or sermons that that Moses is giving. Um, We see in in chapters 1 through 3, Moses is kind of going through all the things that God has done for them to get them up to this point where they're entering the promised land. He's going through how they were able to, to go through this land or conquer these people or, or all this stuff that God has, has helped them with to get them here. In chapters 4 and 5, um, Moses is reaffirming the, the laws, the Ten Commandments as we know them. Uh, Fred and, uh, and, and Greg have gone through the Ten Commandments and, uh, and walked through those with us. And, and, but he was reaffirming, making sure they have a, a clear understanding Here are the commandments that we need to follow. Here in chapter 6, what Moses is doing is discussing the motive for obedience. Why do we obey? Why do we need to obey? Moses is trying to help the Israelites um, to understand that God's law is there to not only build them up individually, but to build them up as a nation. The law is also meant to, to reveal God to them. And to draw his people closer to him. As they follow the the commandments and they're obedient, God wants to draw closer to them. This is just their relationship with God. This is what this looks like. As we obey God, God draws closer to us. We have a stronger relationship with him. And this is kind of where we're at with this. Moses is, is working with them, trying to get them to understand, this is what you need to do before you enter into this land. So let's break this down a little bit and see what Moses has to say. Verse 1, he says, This is the command and the statutes and the ordinances of the Lord our God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter. Moses is given the command to teach. God has commanded Moses. Interestingly enough, is Moses himself is not allowed to enter into this land. Moses was disobedient. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And and God said, because of your disobedience, you will not be going into this land with the people here. And and not only that, you won't be going, but here's what I need you to still do, is I need you to teach them, and I need you to train them up, because they're still going in. And I need them to be ready, so this is your job. The guy who can't go in, I still require you to teach these people and train these people up. This is the first Example that we see here of, 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 of obedience. Moses is setting the example for the Israelites. Okay, God, I will be obedient to you this time around, and I will teach them, and I will get them up and ready to go. The word teach here is simply not, to, is simply not an educational process. Um, this is not a transfer of knowledge. Um, this word teach is, to, is more, the meaning of it is more like train to train them up, right? And the goal is here not to fill their heads with information, but to completely change their conduct. We saw years and years and years of of Israelites disobeying God, 
not following God's commandments. So Moses, his job is here is to change who they are. To completely have them turn around and, and not just hear those words and not just, you know, okay, I, I got it, I got it, I got it. But to change what they're doing and how they respond to that word. Moses is also not offering any opinions here. This is God's commandment. These are God's words. He's not um, asking them for for any viewpoints. He's not honoring any viewpoints that they may have. And he's certainly not taking any suggestions from the Israelites. We've seen what that does. (laughs) Forty years of wandering because of their suggestions and viewpoints. My first point I want to make here is that if we want to have an impact on the lives of others, we must embrace God's word as authority. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's commands are the absolute truth. God's word is the absolute truth. And not only that, it's also the starting place for growth. We need God's word so that we can be complete. We need God's word so that we can continue to grow. And we must embrace God's word as the rules of life. Every aspect of it. Not only that, but as a Christian, we must embrace God's word in its entirety. Fred talked about this last week, how, you know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are the baseline of what the true law is. Those are just the beginning of it. Because it says also that if we even look at uh, someone else with lustful eyes, if we even look at someone else with impure thoughts, we've already committed adultery. We need to understand that the entire word of God is something that we need to follow completely. Because God's word is the authority. God's word is exactly what we need to hear. And it's not about what Sean wants to do to pick parts and pieces out of it to make to, to, to satisfy my needs, I can't just you know, look at, oh, I'm going to use this because maybe I needed to use it in, in a certain way. God says, the entire word of God is my authority. Use and we obey the entire word. Verse 2, he says, do this, follow the commandments, do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all of his statutes and his commands that I'm giving you, and your son, and your grandson, so that you may have a life a long life. My next point is that if we want to have an impact on the lives of others, we need, we must fear the Lord. We must fear the Lord. Fear the Lord is keeping God's commandments as an expression, is an expression of fearing the Lord. As we obey God, we fear God. This is not a fear, though, that we have of, of, you know, the shivers down our spine or, or I need to run and hide because God's going to strike me down. This is not this fear. Psalm 111.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instructions have good insight. We understand that God's commandments are there. We need to follow those God's commandments, and, and then we will naturally fear the Lord. It's a gut feeling caused by objective truths that motivate action. When we follow God's commandments, we obey those commandments, and we act accordingly. The best way I can explain this, and I was thinking about this, and I, how can I really kind of give a visual of this? So, you guys, we, we, anyone who drives in here knows we drive on a daily basis, and 
some of us drive for hours a day, and we do it pretty routinely. It's not something we think about too often. We just kind of get on the road, and we just start driving. And, you know, we're focused, of course. I'm not saying we're just, you know, but you ever have those moments where you're driving, and you like, you're like in another point. You're like, how did I even get here? But, but we, we stay focused on the road, kids. Um, but, but when we're driving, it's just it's a routine thing. We do it so often, it becomes a routine. So, but you ever notice, though, if, you have a, if you're driving down and a, and a police officer pulls behind you, we immediately, and I would say all of us, have the same reaction to that. We, we, we touch the brakes to make sure we're going the speed limit. We check our belts to make sure our seatbelts are on. Our hands are you know, what is it, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, wherever it's supposed to be, we, we begin to really truly pay attention to the laws and the rules of driving, the privilege of driving. Not because we're afraid of the man behind us, the cop that's in that car, but we understand that if we don't follow those rules, there are consequences for not doing so. So we slow down, we put our brakes, we, we check our belts because we don't want to get in trouble. And prior to that, we were just going along. But that's kind of what the fear of the Lord is like. We live our lives, but we know God is there. So we should always be paying attention to what we're doing and making sure that we are following the rules and the commandments that God has given us. It's the way we think. It's an attitude of the mind. It's not something that we can kind of remember, that we can, you know, hey, this is how we fear the Lord. This is not how it works. What it is, it's an action of humility and obedience. When we're humble and when we're obedient, we have a natural tendency to fear the Lord. Verse 3 says this, Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Since the time of Abraham, um, the God of both our biological and spiritual fathers has been promising this land. Now that through the 40 years of wandering and the time before that, most of that generation have now passed away. They're, they're no longer there. And, and God wants this new generation to be absolutely certain that they're obeying God's word. My next point, if we want to have an impact on the lives of others, we must carefully obey God's word. Now, this sounds like a pretty straightforward advice that Moses is giving here. But just like the Israelites, we are imperfect. We stumble. We often miss the mark. We often mess up. But God, being the God who he is, wants us to prosper. God wants us to multiply. And God wants us to be blessed. And the thing is, blessings don't come from just hearing God's word. Blessings don't come from our ability to be able to recite God's word. It's all good stuff. We need to hear God's word. We should be able to recite God's word. But they truly come when we do God's word. God tells us that we are to be doers of his word. This is an action. This is, this is a, a steps that, these are steps that we take to be obedient to God. This is not something we say, okay, God says this, and I got it. No, we physically have to do it. We can't just hear it. We have to go do it. God gave us his commandments, hoping that we'll obey them. And so, that we, that, so through that obedience, that we, we can be blessed. In fact, because God loves us so much, because God wants us to be so success, successful so badly, that he'll use those blessings to motivate us to be obedient. 
For years, God was promising these Israelites the land of milk and honey, and simply all they had to do was follow him and be obedient. They would have had the land. We are in the same position. God wants us to be obedient, and all we have to do is to follow him and be obedient, and we will multiply. If we follow him and we're obedient, we will prosper. If we follow him and be obedient, we will be blessed. God uses these blessings to motivate obedience. Our response to that should be action and doing, not just hearing. Verse 4, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. My next point, if we want to have an impact on the lives of others, we must have an understanding of Scripture. Now, for some Jewish people, this Scripture is, a very, is an extremely important Scripture. It's part of the Jewish creed called the Shema. The Shema is uh, derived from the Hebrew word meaning to hear or to recite. Once a morning and once at night, the, the, the Jewish um, folks would, would go and, 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 and pray these, these Scriptures. Pray these words. The Shema was also their affirmation that there is only one God above. Today we call that monotheism, right? The doctrine of, of one God and one God only. Uh, the exact translation of the scripture is a little tricky. Um, there is no true, certain translation of it, specifically the word one. Um, some translations have that as alone. Others have that as unique. Some have it as incomparable, but really the basic idea, the premise of this scripture is the same. God should be our sole object of devotion and the only one worthy of worship. There should be no other gods before him and there should be nothing that is ever placed above him. Now it's important that we as, as believers have an understanding of, of, of scripture because the reality of it is this, we are going to have kids that are going to ask questions. We're going to have people that we're discipling that are going to have questions for us to answer. And, and we need to be prepared to be able to answer those type of questions. The phrase, listen Israel, he says here, is, is, is mentioned six times throughout Deuteronomy. In fact, two times in just this passage here alone. God is preparing them as they enter into the promised land to be able to, um, he wants them to be able to communicate and to teach and to train these, these, these next generation, but they have to have an understanding of the scripture to be able to do so. We also need to have an understanding of the scripture to do so. Just this verse alone, if you think about it, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We may ask ourselves, like, what do you mean the Lord is one? What about the Trinity? You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, Sean? How do you explain that? I need to be able to explain those type of things. Now, God sometimes will not reveal everything to us, and some things are meant to be a mystery, the Trinity being one of those things to a degree, but we still have to have some semblance of an idea on how to explain Scripture to the people that we're teaching and training and discipling. That's why it's important that we have this understanding, because I want to be able to give the answer to those who are asking me. Let's jump in, verse 5. He says this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is a big verse, obviously, right? The greatest commandment. This is the origin story of this verse, if you would. Fred talked about this last week. I gave him a hard time because he kind of stole my thunder a little bit on this verse. Like, dude, this is my verse. I mean, what are you taking it for? But I'm not going to go over it the same way he did. Obviously, 
for those who weren't there, um, weren't here last week, Matthew 22, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're debating and they're arguing over and over about which commandment is the greatest. And God, or Jesus, I should say, shows up and they say, oh, you know, one of the, one of the smarter guys um, of the group said, Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this scripture is, is not the, because the scripture is considered the greatest com- scripture, doesn't mean that it supersedes and, 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 and the other scriptures are obsolete. The other commands are obsolete. The Ten Commandments are still very much applicable before our lives. But he's saying if, if we love the Lord our God, then naturally we're going to follow those commandments. They work hand in hand together. They're important to, to, to have both. You need to love God to follow God's commandments. So you, you can't separate the two. The old ones aren't obsolete because we have the greatest commandment here. We need to have both. But what I want to do is kind of break this verse down a little bit further and, and kind of take a look at it in, a, in a maybe a different light. Um, so I'm going to take some key words out of this verse, and we're going to break those down. Um, the first word we're going to look at is the word love. This is the Hebrew word of haviv, haviv, or ahev, sorry about that, ahev, which means it can be completely loyal and obedient in every aspect of our lives. There is nothing else that matters except for God, completely loyal to him. Now, this is sometimes a tough one in our lives because, you know, if we're married, we have wives, we have kids sometimes, and, and oftentimes we, we tend to put those ahead of God. Sometimes we may put work ahead of God. Or maybe our social life's ahead of God. But God is saying, no. No, if you're going to love me, you're going to love me loyally, and you're going to love me above all else. So that's what this word love means. The second word we're going to take a look at is heart. The, the word heart is translated in Hebrew to lev. Lev, um, while today we think of the heart as the place of our emotions, right? Where we're, when we're happy, it comes from the heart. When we're sad, it comes from a broken heart, right? When we're, when we're joyful, it comes from our heart. Love itself comes from the heart. But, but then when the scripture was written, the word heart was, was more about the, 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 the seat of the mind. It's, it's where they thought from. It was, their, their thinking was from the heart. Not so much the, the head, but from the heart. Um, the next word we want to take a look at is the word soul. And this word is nepish, nepish. This is where our emotions do come from. This is our wants and our desires. This is our appetite. This is every aspect of our personality. And when we see something and we go after it, it's because our soul was longing for it. That's what the word soul is. The last word we're going to take a look at is strength, or, or in some translation, the word might. This is the, a form of the word uh, miod, miod, which translates to exceedingly or without expectation. This, so what it's saying is that, that we should love the glory of God with all of our strength, but when we get to that point where we feel like we have no more strength, we exceed it. We go above and beyond it. And then we need to do it exceedingly. We need to do it exceptionally. We need to do it with everything that we have. So this, this scripture is, is so much more than just a simple act of affection. This is every thought that we have. This is every desire that we have. This is with every ounce of strength that we have. And then some. And going above and beyond that. Everything that we can give, we should be giving to God. That's how we should love him. If you, and this is my next point. If you want to have an impact on the lives of others, you must love God personally. We must love the Lord our God before they'll 
love the Lord their God. 1 John 5, 3 says this, for the love of God, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. When we love God this way, then we're able to keep his commandments. But the caveat to that is, is, and then what we need to realize is that this love is impossible without the love of God first in our lives. I'm gonna go through some scriptures here. I don't have them up on the screen. You can just kind of follow along if you wanna write them down, that's fine. Uh, 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Not only that, he saved us because he loved us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God also fills us with his spirit because he loves us. Romans 5, 5 says, this hope will not disappoint us because God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts because of these, um, and because of these changes, uh, we are able to love God back. Because God died for us, because God saved us, because God fills us with his Holy Spirit, then we are able to then take those things and we're able to love God back the way that God expects us to love him. But without those things, that kind of love is impossible to give. We need God to be able to provide that love for us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For the love of Christ compels us. Love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ will push us. The love of Christ will allow us to do the things that we otherwise aren't able to do. Now these first five verses are, are there to set up these next four verses that we're going to talk about. Um, so let's review. Embrace God's word as authority. Fear the Lord. Carefully obey God's word. Understand the scripture and love God personally. Those are things that we have to do. Now what Moses is doing is, is saying is that we have a job now. We need to take those things and we need to apply those things to the job that we have in front of us. Moses in these next four scriptures specifically is calling out fathers, but, but certainly not just for fathers. Fathers and mothers, both parents, grandparents need to be paying attention to these scriptures. They can apply that to their lives. Not only that, but all of us sitting in this room are called to be disciple makers. Right, go and make disciples all, in all nations, each one of us. So these words are applicable to all of us here. So we, we want to take these words and, and, and see what Moses is having to say. He gives us a very clear and powerful way that we should be training up the next generation, especially children and parents, especially your own children. As parents, we need to have a clear understanding that discipleship starts at home with our own families. So let's jump into this and break this down a little bit. Verse 6 starts with this. So these words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. My next point, etch God's word on our hearts. Write them down on our hearts. Moses is saying that, that while God has given us the Ten Commandments, while God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments on stone, etched on stone, they aren't enough. While we have our Bibles, and they're important that we have them, that's not enough. And we have a, a Bible teaching church here, but guess what? That's not enough. Bumper stickers, magnets, posters, bookmarks with scriptures on it are not enough. God's word needs to be written on our hearts. Colossians 3.16 says this. I believe that's up there. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to the Lord with gratitude in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, which is not up there, 
You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of the human hearts. God's word needs to be written on our hearts. God's word needs to be a consuming preoccupation of our hearts. And we can think of it like a weight or, or maybe even to a lesser degree like a concern. Right? You ever have a, a big concern? All you can do is think about it. You feel it. You dwell on it. It consumes you. And because you know it's there, you, you think about it all the time. This is what God's word should be like in our, in, in, in our hearts. It should be a preoccupation, something that, that consumes us. But here's the problem. This is what happens. Oftentimes in our relationship with Christ, it becomes routine. The excitement, this all-consuming fire that we had for God fizzles away. We no longer are excited about digging into God's word and studying God's word. The idea of going to a small group is, is a burden. We don't go to church because we, we're excited about church and because we, we want to go to church. We go to church because uh, I have to go to church. Here's the problem with that is that our children are seeing that behavior. And as we allow our relationship with Christ to become routine, our behavior begins to change. And our kids are going to pattern, unconditionally pattern their lives around the lives of others. So when they're seeing us and our behavior change, their behavior is changing. And so when we have our kids and, and, and our kids are misbehaving, we, we cry out, God, please help me with my kid. I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do with them. Help them to be more thoughtful. Help them to be more kind. Help them to be more patient. God, please help me. Maybe what we should be doing is this. God, please help me. God, please change my behavior. God, please help me be more thoughtful. Help me be more patient. Help me be more kind. And when we do those things, and God then begins to change our lives day by day, week by week, month by month, guess what happens? Our kids' behavior starts to change because they see us change. If you want true discipleship to happen, we need to think the word of God. We need to speak the word of God. We need to apply the word of God in our lives. We need to use God's word on a daily basis. We need to chew on it. We need to study it. We need to ask about it. We need to talk about it. We need to meditate on it. We need to quote it. We need to learn it. And more importantly, we need to live it. That's what we need to be doing on a daily basis, etching God's word on our hearts. And how passionate we are for God's word will determine how effective we are as disciple makers. It will determine how effective we are in changing the lives of others. I want to change the lives of others. I need God's word etched on my heart. Verse 7. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you're walking along the road. And when you lie down and when you get up. My next point. Teach God's word diligently. Teach here is a formal word for instruct, but even greater, a greater word than instruct is the word to train, which we talked a little bit about earlier. And train is simply to point in a direction. We need to show our kids and those who we are discipling which way to go. There needs to be commitment, a commitment to formal training in our homes. And while this happens at Bible teaching churches, Moses is informing us that this responsibility is not of the church. This responsibility falls squarely on the shoulders of us. 
parents, disciple makers. Here at Redemption, we are privileged to have a, an awesome group of teachers and leaders who, 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 who are helping our kids, who are training up our kids and, and guiding the next generation. Matt and Erica have done a great job to, of making our children's ministry a place that we feel comfortable taking our kids to. Marty has done the same thing with our youth. He has, he has created a, an atmosphere and an environment that is safe for these kids to go to, to be able to share their struggles. He's training them. He's teaching them God's word. And while both of these places can be a stimulus for God's training, if we are allowing them to be a substitute for what we're supposed to be doing, then we're doing it wrong. That's the reality of it. And this is not a one-off thing. Moses is telling us that we need to repeat them over and over. We need to be diligent. Some translations will, uh, has diligent as basically just sharpening. We need to sharpen our kids on a daily basis. Um, anyone watch the show Forge and Fire? There's a show, no, no one in here? Wow. There's a show about uh, forgers, and what they do is they, they, there's four contestants, and they, they, they're all given the task of creating a knife. And so they create these knives with, with, the, with the hope to be able to go to the next round where they'll create some weapon of historic nature. So these four men, though, are given a, a, a piece of steel. Maybe it's a ball or, or a bar or whatever it may be. And they're tasked with changing that piece of steel into a knife. So they stick it in the fire. They begin to forge it down. They hammer it. They begin shaping it. And then the next round, what they do is they take that shape, this knife that they've created, and they finish it off, right? They, they shine it up. They get rid of the, the rough edges, and then they put a handle on it. And then the final step that they have to do is to sharpen this knife. Because the reality of it is how nice this looks, this knife looks, or, or how beautiful it is really doesn't matter. Because if the knife is not sharpened, it's pretty much useless. So they take a whetstone or a piece of leather, and they'll, they'll go over and over and over and over. They'll change grits, 300 to 600 to 1,000 grit. They'll keep adding to that to get it to a fine point until that knife is sharp and ready to use. But as we know, knives don't stay sharp, do they? Right? You ever try cutting a tomato with a dull knife? It's impossible to do. You just crush it. So knives have to be continually sharpened over and over to continue to be useful, to continue to be able to do what they're called to do, to cut. God is saying that we need to do the same thing for our kids. The other thing that we, and the, the, the thing that we have to consider here, though, is, is we can't just be teaching them, you know, the books of the Bible or, or the common verses that everyone knows, John 3, 16, or, or the stories like, you know, Noah's Ark. We need to teach them more than just those things. We need to start them early in teaching them theology, doctrine. What does that look like? What does that mean? Obviously, a three-year-old is not going to have any clue what you're talking about. But, but it's okay to, to talk about things that maybe are a little above and beyond what you think they can understand. We also need to be talking to them about, about how to handle things through the Bible, how to hand, handle things that maybe they're struggling with in their lives. Some of the problems that they're having at school. Maybe some of the current issues that they're struggling with. We can't just... You know, give them the, the, the little bits and pieces that, 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 that everyone knows. We need to, to expand on that. We need to give them more. And I, Vince Lombardi, he, he uh, you guys don't know who he is. He's the uh, Green Bay Packers coach. The Super Bowl trophy is named after him. He had six plays that he taught his players, six plays. 
And those six plays, they would practice over and over and over and over again until they perfected those six plays. And with those six plays, Vince Lombardi took his team to Super Bowls and wins. We can teach our kids these things, but it has to be taught over and over and over again so they are prepared. But training isn't just a formal training. Training also needs to be informal. Moses is saying that in the second part of that verse, to teach them as you're, you're, that you're, you're in your house or as you're walking on the road, teach them day and night. And whether we're sitting at home on the couch, whether we're having dinner at the table, whether we're driving to school, going to grocery shopping, taking a trip or doing chores, there are always moments, there are always opportunities that we can train our kids. Sometimes I believe that, that those impromptu, spontaneous training sessions or, or teaching sessions are probably the most impactful that we could have because our kids are paying attention. They're hearing you because maybe they asked the question in the first place. Sometimes we need to remember what it's like to enjoy God. We need to remember what it's like to enjoy the life that God has given us. We need to get back to enjoying our families. Sadly, that's not the case for everyone. And there are kids that don't get to have this type of experience. I came across something on Facebook this week, um, and maybe some of you guys have seen it. It's from a, a counselor who, um, who, who wrote little notes about things that kids that came to see her said about their homes and their families. And most of these kids were 15 years and younger. Um, and uh, so I'm going to read a couple of these to you because I think it kind of drives home the need to have God and family time as part of our lives. So um, let me start here. If, you, if I ran away, my parents wouldn't know. They don't say goodnight to me anymore. Being alone in my room is okay. It doesn't mean that I'm suicidal or sad. My mom says, in a minute, and hours go by. This is why I yell and demand, because she forgets me. Lying to me when I ask if you're okay makes me not trust myself, because I'm connected to you. I feel like a bad kid when I make a mistake, usually because my parents think I did it on purpose. My mom is too busy, she says, but, th- but then she texts her friends all day long. Why not just tell me the truth? She's just avoiding me. Taking away all that I love doesn't motivate me. It leaves me feeling hopeless. Telling me that I'm a disappointment doesn't help me. I didn't do what I did to hurt you. I was just trying to learn. When I annoy my mom, it's because I want her attention. I don't get it any other way. My parents are always busy on their phones. Why am I here? It makes me want to leave. I wish I was important as their phones. My parents are better off just divorcing. They stay together for my siblings and I. I love my mom and dad, even when they yell at me. I always love them. I wish they knew, and I wish I knew they loved me. I cry myself to sleep at night because I feel alone. The only company I have are my own tears. Mom and dad fight a lot at night. Just a few things. We need to put down our cell phones. We need to shut off our TVs. We need to get our kids off the video games. We need to get together as a family, open God's word, and share God informally and formally. We need to get back to maybe having dinners around the table and talking about what's going on in our lives. We need to spend more time with our kids. We 
need to spend more time with God. Number eight. Or verse eight, I'm sorry. Bind them as a sign on your heart or your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your city gates. There are some Jewish people who take this very literally. Um, they have these boxes that are called phylacteries. And in these boxes, they place tiny little scrolls um, of, of four different verses, one of them being the Shema, which we just talked about a little bit earlier ago. There's two verses, two other verses in Exodus and another verse in Deuteronomy. So they put these on these little scrolls and they stick them in these boxes. And then what they'll do is they'll take these boxes and they'll strap them literally on their foreheads and on their arms. Fortunately, we don't have to do that because I don't know if I could stand up here and not laugh at you guys if you had a bunch of boxes on your foreheads. <laughs> but they take this very literally. Not only that, they also take other boxes called mezuzah and they put them on their doorsteps and on their gates as a reminder to, to remember to pray as they go in and as they come out. And they take these boxes they have on their foreheads and they go to the wall and they pray these scriptures. God is not asking us, fortunately, again, literally to, to do these things, but he is asking us, however, to see the scripture lived out in our everyday lives. My last point here is to conform every aspect of our lives to God's word. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect to God. We need to be constantly sharpening and we need to be constantly sharpened. We need to be taking God's word with us everywhere we go. We need to symbolically bind God's words on our hands so that we can remember to give God control of our actions. We need to symbolically put God's word on our forehead so we can remember to give God control of our thoughts. We need to symbolically put God's word on our doorsteps so that we can remember to give God control of our most important places, our homes, our wives, our spouses, our husbands, our kids, our family. Moses is saying that the word of God should invade and penetrate every single aspect of our lives, every part of it. Philippians 4, 1, Paul says this to his church, his disciples, the people that he trained. He said this, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Our children are our joy and our crown. The people that we have the privilege of discipling are our joy and our crown. They deserve the best that we have to give. They deserve not only the best that we have to give, but to do this consistently and constantly. We need to be diligent with our discipling, with our teaching, and with our training. This task is not an easy task. And I know for me, I, as I was going through this, and it was a, there were moments where I, I struggled a little bit because, you know, my kids are 20 years, almost 20 and 18 years old. And, and I think back to, them, to, to the things that I have done to help them along the way. And, and, you know, my kids are Christians. I know they believe in God, and I know where they're at with their hearts. But I also know that I could have given them so much more. And I wish I would have paid attention to, to some of this whenever my kids were younger so that I could have given them what they needed to make sure that they're prepared for every aspect of their lives. But here's what I also realize is it's not too late. And it's not too late for any of us, any of us in this room. 
This opportunity can start right now. And if you haven't been taking advantage of, of doing these things with your kids, if you haven't been t- looking for opportunities to disciple other people, this is the perfect opportunity to do so. We have the chance right now. And trust me, your kids need it. There are people in this church right now that need God's word. And it's our responsibility to give that to them. And here's what I can tell you as well, is that, that as we disciple these people and we, we, we send them on their way and we get to look at them and, and see that God is now using them for furthering his kingdom, there is nothing better than seeing that. I've had the, the privilege to, to watch guys grow up and change their lives, leading through small groups. And it, it is one of the greatest joys of my life to watch this happen. Maybe you're sitting in this room right now and you say, Sean, I would love to, to be able to do these things with my kids. And, or I would love to be able to, 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 to disciple others. Or, or maybe, Sean, I need to be discipled myself. But I have no idea where to start. I don't even know if I believe that I have a relationship with Christ. Well, I'm going to ask you guys this morning that if you feel that way, please come see myself, come see India, because we want to talk to you. We want to walk you through this because we want you to start today. We want you to be obedient. We want you to be following God. We want you to be making disciples of your kids, of the people around you. We're all tasked with it, but it's an incredible blessing.